Welcome to the Mad Riders Union. Speculative destruction, one episode at a time. I'm Jay Wolf. I'm Tim Berger. And I'm Nina Niskanen. And uh, well, I guess I get to start this, huh? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is different. This is different. Yeah. yeah. I have a problem. Oh, no. <laughs> Do tell, Tim. Uh, yeah. So I think we've discussed this in several episodes before, and I know I've discussed this with friends of mine, but I seemingly have an inability to write flash fiction, which I think would be not only fun, but also instructive. But anytime that I have a story that probably could be told in a flash format, it always kind of gets fat and into a short story, at least. Um, well, so the first thing you need to do is stop feeding your stories donuts. <laughs> but they love donuts. <laughs> but they're not good for them. I know. I know. I love donuts. <laughs> they're not good My for you either. <laughs> They're so good. A flash story is like a donut. It's just, you know, short and tasty little morsel, sort of. But it's got to be a donut that's got th that nice cream filling, though. <laughs> oh so it's got to be really perfect. And now Tim is drilling and he's like, we Let should just start guess. a different podcast Neither where we you are have had food people. breakfast. <laughs> no, uh, I, I've had a latte this morning. We're really stretching yeah, this metaphor latte, out a little bit. Latte is not breakfast. <laughs> yeah it really depends on what's in the latte <laughs> yeah it's not not that time of day for that kind of latte anyway so flash fiction has been kind of a challenge for me because i try to write something short i go into a story with the intentions of writing something quickly and and under i don't know two thousand words fifteen hundred words a thousand words yeah, and it never pans out that way. It always kind of goes up to about 3,000 words or more. Okay. So it's a problem because it, I don't know if it's one of focus or or what it is. So help. Well, it, yeah, there's a lot of <laughs> potential sometimes there. <laughs> so since I don't think neither of us has read Tim's trying to be flash fiction, so you you've read let's put it this way uh, you you did you read a story of mine that which is relatively short which is relatively short but yeah when I wrote it and when I reviewed it later I was like yeah this really should be flash <laughs> yes. and it's three thousand words and it's yeah I, it, I I wrote it over the course of a couple of days and I think it ended up at 3,700 words. Yeah, that's a lot. So before we get into this any further, there's this thing that we did in Mary Robinette Cole's class. Ping! Mary had us write, uh, she gave us a prompt and we had two hours from receiving the prompt. No, actually it was 90 minutes from receiving the prompt to needing to be done with the story for the vomit draft version. So right. you can't, well, okay, I can, but <laughs> <laughs> most people can't write 3,800 words in 90 minutes right. from a prompt they have just received. Right. And even for me, it requires the use of dictation. Mm -hmm. So 
I think that was sort of very helpful, having to time box the thing in that you, you receive a prompt and then you brainstorm for 10 minutes about what the story could be and what you're excited about and then just start writing. And you okay. need to be done at the 90-minute mark. So hmm. building yourself a time limit while you're working on the story will definitely shorten the total net number of words that you generate. Let me just kind of address that because, Nina, you and I did take the – I mean, we weren't in the same class, but we took the same course. And you were in the six-week one, yes? No, no, I wasn't in the six-week one. I was in the weekend intensive. You were in the crash course one. I was in yeah. the crash course ones, and we also did a 90-minute at the end after all okay. the weekend. Because um, I have another friend who was in one of the crash course ones, I think. Mm -hmm. And she didn't do the 90-minute thing. Yeah, uh, I, we did get a 90-minute um, thing to, to do this. And what had happened in that case is I wrote the first third. I wrote like 1,700 words of a first third of a story. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. That's not how it works. Yeah, no, that's, that's not how it works. That was that is not the that is not what you've been prescribed just yes. now. <laughs> You're supposed to spend at most 30 minutes writing the beginning, then 30 minutes no. writing the middle and 30 minutes writing the end. Yes. Tim is screaming. <laughs> that's, that's, I know. that's the point of time boxing. Uh, Bad. Okay. Bad. <laughs> okay. So Okay. So We've seen that time boxing is something that you've experimented with. Yeah. Some other thoughts that I have, number of characters and number of scenes yes. influences your word count. So one of the things to take into consideration with that then is that you might be creating stories that are too big for the space that you're trying to tell them in. Mm -hmm. I would experiment with trying to write a single character, single scene story and see how close you can get that to 1,000 words. Okay. As a, just sort of a one of the things that I would recommend as an exercise if you or any of our lovely listeners are having this particular issue, writing a single scene, you know, think like a bottle episode. It forces you to, to stay within a different kind of box than the time box. Yeah, okay. So I had only two characters mm -hmm. in a single setting. Sure. And I still only got to uh, a certain point. I think the reason why I tend to go with at least two characters is mm -hmm. that, as we've mentioned before, you know, writers are given certain gifts. And one of my, you know, you're, you're given one for free. And we've mentioned that before. Yes. One of the gifts that I believe I have is dialogue. So I tend to go with at least two characters in the scene. Sure. And it's chatting back and forth. And... I think when I wrote that, I wrote the dialogue first and then I backfilled. And when I started backfilling, I was like, you know, all of the <laughs> the setting. You and, needed support structure to support the dialogue that was going on. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think part of that may be about what you're saying in the dialogue. How efficient the dialogue is? That, but also if you keep adding backstory to the dialogue... Like mm -hmm. if these two people who you have on screen have a massive history, then if you keep adding the bits of the history to the dialogue, then that will sort of expand. Yeah. This was actually a case of not adding backstory. When I initially wrote this, I, I wrote almost pure dialogue. 
with maybe, uh, you know, stage directions here and there. And then I went back and I added sensory setting. You know, I didn't have time to do any kind of thematic elements or anything like that. But as soon as I started adding those other elements of like the setting and what have you interspersed with the dialogue, that's when it started, well, you know, yeah, but out. If, if you're just writing pure dialogue, then it either suggests that you have a lot of redundancy mm. and repetition in the dialogue itself, because any story will naturally have... Well, okay. Unless you're Cormac McCarthy, any story <laughs> you write will naturally have yeah. setting and sensory details and so on. Yeah, one of the thoughts that I had, if your word count problems are starting to happen in adding your description, it might be that there is a little bit too much meat to the dialogue that's there that isn't necessarily pulling its weight. Yeah, that's interesting because I've never considered the fact that the dialogue I was largely happy with on the first pass anyway is actually sure. maybe the culprit of the bloat. It might be because you're leaning on it. Yeah. That's my gut instinct. Yeah. Watching out for redundancy uh, and beefing up weak verbs and things like that. Mm -hmm. I know that that's a kind of a big problem a lot of people have is in actual real conversation be verbs and adverbs and modifiers happen a lot but they add a lot of fat to dialogue without adding any meat so yeah. they can very quickly take over a dialogue and make it so that it doesn't feel it's kind of, i mean it's honestly <laughs> back to our food metaphors oh boy it's just like that donut <laughs> it doesn't it it doesn't add a lot to the contents of your tummy, but it's going to add to your calorie count for the day in uh, a disproportionate amount. So okay. worth looking at. Okay, that's a good thing to consider. Yeah. Let me ask uh, another question, just a slight tangent. One of the things that I've seen as techniques that people try to do in Flash in particular is that they don't try to have a typical story, you know, with, you know, beginning, middle, end. Mm -hmm. Some flash is like, hey, try to evoke a feeling or a moment. I get in trouble because I want to tackle big topics. Yeah, but you can't tackle you, big you topics in, in flash yeah. fiction. Yeah, I know that. I'm going to counter that and say that you can tackle big topics, but that you have to tackle them in a small way. Mm -hmm. I still think that a flash, even if it's a flash story, still needs, you need to have the implication of a beginning, a middle, and an end. Mm -hmm. They don't all have to be on the page, but there has to be a resolution or else what you have on your hands is what's called a vignette. Yes. Right. You have you have a chunk of something that isn't, isn't a slice an of actual... Life story. Yeah. 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 A slice of life is not a story. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, you can totally have an in implied beginning, middle, and end in just six words. Like yes. the, right. one of the most famous <laughs> six word stories is I'm not sure if it was Hemingway. I've heard I've heard it was Hemingway, but it's not Hemingway, but it's attributed to Hemingway for sale. Baby shoes never worn. So yeah. that implies a beginning, a couple who has conceived and ha is clearly very happy about it. 
it implies a middle, stillborn, uh, miscarriage. Some kind of unfortunate happenstance. Yes. Yeah. And then the recovery or resurrection or whatever that is. Resolution, yeah. Yeah. That is implied in the for sale because they're no longer holding on to the never worn baby shoes. Right. Yeah. One of the things I want to point out with that story, too, is that. There are a lot of things being placed on stage that you're that you're able to com- contemplate just in looking at the story. It's hopeful mm-hmm. and then absolutely soul crushing. <laughs> <laughs> An infant doesn't walk. So shoes are decorative. Yes. They're ornamentation. So you know, not only not only are they not going to be used by the person who purchased them, that person can't afford to keep them as a memento. Like, that's how bad the situation is. Or can't so, afford or or it's just a part of letting go of the grief. Yeah. This is interesting because <laughs> I'm, I'm listening to Nina, how you've interpreted the story, and Aunt Jay, how you've interpreted the story. And I have a third interpretation. Yes. And I can think of the multiples that are possible mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. And that's kind of the brilliance of Flash. Yes. Yes. Because anytime you're sending some form of fiction out there into the world, mm-hmm. you cannot control how readers take it or how readers read it. You can control how they're likely to perceive it. But part of the thing about Flash fiction is that you don't necessarily need to. Mm-hmm. You're building it so that the reader will... The reader does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. Right. Yes. Right. And I think that's another failing point for me because another writing issue that I have to be aware of is that, like I mentioned before, I write stage directions, but I, I almost... I write too many, you know, where to the point where I, you know, I describe where their hands are, you know, which way that they're looking. Are they facing the door or not facing the door? Where? And that's probably. Well, I, I think that's that probably comes that is from. Definitely... <laughs> yeah, that probably comes from the fact that I was, you know, I, I did a lot of acting. And so we got stage directions and sure. you, you keep those things in mind. And when I have a scene in my mind, I need to know where where everybody is where they're facing because that's the way it makes sense to me yeah but you need to know that even when anyone is writing like i Mm. i usually have a pretty clear picture of what's happening Mm -hmm. this is actually something that's apparently my free give like i tend to write fairly clear action but i don't actually write stage direction i more tend to imply things okay this is good knowledge for me to know pro tip for everybody listening find people <laughs> who are good at what you're bad at <laughs> that <would> help yes. <laughs> you. yes 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 so nina yeah. <laughs> i will probably have you i'll probably have you look over my stuff sure. if you'd be willing to do so sure anyway so yeah one of those things that I would say she's recommending to look at what you can imply instead of what you necessarily have on the page. Yeah. The other thing is that you might just be one of those writers who has to write all of it and then cut it back to the most essential parts. Yeah. This is what Jilly Dreadful keeps talking about in mm-hmm. when she says that there are things that a writer needs to write, but a reader doesn't necessarily need to read. Yes. 
this is a, a big problem a lot of people have, okay. I think. Yes. This is really interesting because my style of writing is actually underwriting, going back, filling in, and then <laughs> at that point. But it's where well, be, it's where I underwrite, essentially. Yeah, but it, it might also be that you said that you basically wrote all dialogue all the yeah. time. Mm-hmm. So you go in and you fill those stage directions and descriptions and setting and movement and so on, sensory details. Right. And then after that, you go back and you cut mercilessly. Okay. Yeah. So you go through all the rathers, quites, varies, suddenlies, thens. You go mm-hmm. through weak wor- verb tenses. There is or there was. Yeah. 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 That, that's, I call those B verbs. Yes. Yeah. And they are. Because M is were. Because there is almost always a stronger verb that you can use instead of several words. Yes. Right. Other, in that same ballpark are like overly specific phrasing, like the branch of the tree instead of yeah. the tree branch. Right. Five words, two words. Right. Yes. And those add up really quickly. Oh, yeah, this yeah, is yeah. also my problem. <laughs> Well, and some of that, too, that can be a stylistic tick that, like, you might need in some places, but to have it everywhere, it, it adds a lot of, again, a lot of fat without yes. without changing meaning. Yeah. Another thought that I have is when you're doing the editing, mm-hmm. so you've done your dialogue and gotten to, what, 1,700 words or whatever it was, and then adding the rest of the story around the dialogue <laughs> beefed it to about double that. So if you're ending up at you know, 3,600 words thereabouts with a story like that, figure out the latest point that you could enter the story and the earliest point that you could leave the story and just hack those parts off. Put them in a separate folder so that you're not losing them forever, but hack them off and then go through and cut down to the most essential parts of the story that has the stage direction and the dialogue, like the full fat version of the story and Really reduce it down as tightly as you can. Yeah. And I would say in terms of what you get out of that, I would be, I, I'd be shocked if you couldn't cut quite a bit. <laughs> yes. This brings it back to the implied nature of flash fiction and, yes. and very short fiction. Yeah. Right. Because you don't necessarily need to say that something happens as long as you take the reader to the point where it could happen. Right. Yeah. You take the reader to the point where they do it in their head, whether you whether you say they did it or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> or make them question. This is interesting. I just thought of a good example. I don't, I don't know if you guys read this story. It, well, okay, you know how we were kind of chatting. Well, this has been probably two, three months ago now. But we were chatting and I was just kind of kind of ripping off some inter-office memos. Yes. yes. I remember that. And our friend Laura said, hey, Tim, you should write that. Yes. Yep. So I, I wrote that, but it ended up being an all... I, <laughs> I turned it into an epistolary short story. <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Like you do. It was all written in emails, like I do. And yeah. Okay. So I'm starting to see a pattern <laughs> of what I'm doing. <laughs> what? That you're, that you're dialogue heavy? Yeah. That I, well, I, that's, that's what I tend to do is, is that I try to write well, these things. Um, well, I mean, the other thing that you need to think about is that dialogue only is a legitimate format. Terry Bisson's, uh, they're made out of meat aside. I mean, there are a lot of stories that don't really require a lot of 
supplementary material around them. But if you're going to lean on dialogue only, then you need to make sure that the revelation that the reader has comes specifically as a result of the dialogue. Usually that requires a little bit of double meaning, right. which might be easier to add in the revision. Now, you just said something about double meaning. Can can you expand mm-hmm. that, on that? A l- I mean, I know what double meaning is, but... <laughs> sure. <laughs> I don't mean double meaning like that you're speaking in code or anything. Right. But that the implication of the conversation has layers. That there's there's a cur- conversation going on on the surface, but that that surface conversation is maybe not only about what it, it sounds like from the outside. Okay. And that one actually would go back to a story that actually does belong to Hemingway, which is Hills Like White Elephants. Okay, yeah. Never once says what it's about, but... (laughs) Yeah, it's heavily implied. That's... It's very obvious what the story is about, but it never once is stated. Yeah. So maybe it's a good idea for me to read more Hemingway. (laughs) 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 But if you want to smash the patriarchy, you got to read other stuff besides Hemingway, too. This is true. Yeah. Well, now that I've said that, though, if not Hemingway, who? Who are good people to read (laughs) that do... I mean, I, I, you know, I read daily science fiction. Is there a person? Sunil Patel does a lot of really good flash fiction. Oh, yeah, that's true. I would say Carolyn Yoakum, maybe. Okay. She's in daily science fiction at least once a month, I think. <laughs> <laughs> There's also flash fiction online, which... Okay. Yeah. Dis- I, I, uh, I would say that... Full disclaimer, I used to uh, slush for them, yeah. Okay. I'm going to throw out somebody I personally know. I think he's kind of an up-and-coming writer. John Wiswell is... Uh, yes. Yeah, he's had quite a few Flash pieces. Yeah, he's had a couple on mm-hmm. on Flash Fiction Online. Yeah. And I think DSF, too. Yeah, and... I, but I know I've seen him on Flash Fiction Online. Yeah, and I, I like, really dig his style, so he's had some good pieces out there, so... Good. So what else should I do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got through pretty much everything. Um, one of the other things I was going to mention, um, unnecessary intermissions. I don't think you have that problem, okay. but I know a lot of people who do. Scene changes add so much weight to a story. Yes. Find ways to tell the story in as few places as possible. Mm -hmm. So, again, I don't think that's a problem you're having, but in general... A lot of people will skip around and then wonder, like, why is this story 4,000 words? Because they went to the store, and then they went home, and then they went to work, and then they went (laughs) home again. Like, pick one place and have everything happen. The structure of a story is one of the things that you could certainly think about. Um, The nice thing with Flash is that you can experiment with things like writing nonlinear stories or stories that are one sentence that is really, really long and, say punctuated by semicolons and colons and continuous phrasing rather than an actual single sentence. Right. One of the classes that I took, we started with a story that was 300 words or so. Okay. And then we had to take that story down to 150 words. And then we had to take that story down to 100 words. 100 Wow. Yes. Wow. Yeah. It was an interesting experiment in how little you need on the page. And I don't know that it necessarily produced work that is final, mm-hmm. but sure. doing the assignment and working through it, just that half and then half and then half again mm-hmm. gave it really, it was a good character study. 
<laughs> like <laughs> in terms of, okay, I can make everything about this person apparent in a hundred words and give it something that really did have something we think of as a story rather than just a vignette. Right. Yeah. Okay. So Mary talked about one of the things to help work things down is the 10% solution. Yeah, can run. So basically, you just find a section and decide what 10% you're going to cut. Uh, another thing that you can do to, to uh, identify areas is actually reading it aloud for yep. for pacing words and stuff like that. If there's any point that you get bored reading it, <laughs> which is possible. Oh, of course. There's an area to tighten up. Yeah. Yeah. And for God's sakes, don't put in a flashback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do add they add weight. Alright. Yeah. So Tim, have you read any good books lately? Yeah, I've got a I've got a good one that I'm actually I, you know, not that I haven't been excited about other books before. Um <laughs> But I'm pretty excited about this one. It's gotten really good reviews, and I am really digging it. It's called The Everything Box by Richard Cadry. The best way to describe this. So if you're a fan of Douglas Adams, if you liked Good Omens by uh, Neil Gaiman and, and Terry Pratchett, and if you just like silly out-and-out -out humor in that style, uh, and you like reading about the end of the world... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, this oh, is a good. This is a good book. It's really funny. I've had some some laugh out loud moments. Kind of, and, and that's kind of rare for a lot of books. You know, some books may be funny, but it, uh, it takes a rare book, I think, to make you laugh out loud. This one's good. Richard cool. Cadry is also the author of the Sandman Slim stories. I really like it, and it's kind of the little blurbs on here from a lot of people that I kind of like. Uh, Mer Lafferty said it was good. Matt Wallace also said it was good. You know, they got the little blurbs on the back here. Christopher Moore. So yeah. Funny stuff. Cool. Written well. So, <laughs> Jay, what have you been reading? So, I would say of the books that I am in the process of reading, the one I'm most prepared to talk about would be The Beautiful Thing That Awaits Us All by Laird Barron, which is a short fiction collection of a bunch of different stories of his. Mm -hmm. They are horror with some science fiction-y and fantasy-ish elements. Mm -hmm. There, I would say like dark fantasy or horror would both kind of fit. Weird fiction sometimes is maybe better than any of the other descriptors as well. Cool. The title story is kind of darkly funny and is a more or less overt reference to the KGB bar readings here in New York that go on every month. And it, it was just very cute and amusing, <laughs> but... Most of the stories are much, much more dark and much more uh, horrific. But he has a wonderful aesthetic that is absolutely engrossing. His word choices are incredibly strong. If you wanted to study someone who is incredibly efficient, but writes very poetic prose. Cool. Laird Barron is a, a good study. So Yeah, cool. So the beautiful thing that awaits us all and other stories, Laird Barron. Cool. Nina, what you reading? So, um, we are recording this on the glorious 25th of May. And <laughs> as I am wont to do every year on this day, I have reread, uh, The Night Watch by Sir Terry Pratchett. Aww. And, uh, this book is, I've worn out like three copies <laughs> of it. 
like literally worn them out. The the pages won't stick anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and uh it's been hugely influential for me as a person and especially as a writer. So every year on this day I reread the book. It the that one has uh does that one have uh lilac day? Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's yeah. the one. So basically, yeah. Samuel Vimes goes back in time and ends up getting in the middle of a revolution, which is all about police and keeping the peace and doing the job that's in front of you. And Sam Vimes as a character is just one of the characters that I really love throughout all of all of fiction, but especially in this world. And yeah, <laughs> I. Yeah. Cannot recommend this book highly enough. Yeah, it it, it is. I know one a lot of, of people classics. who would say it's their favorite. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> it, it is one of Pratchett's cl- uh, classics, and um, usually people have a uh, two, three books of Pratchett's that are their favorites, and Night's Watch is uh, typically yes. within those people's favorites books, favorite books. Yes, we've all yes. read it. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The amount of like nodding and mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> yesing going on in yes. in the background is kind of understatement territory. Yep. <laughs> Don't be surprised if we by the next time you hear this, we've all read it again. This has been the Mad Writers Union. Now let's get to work. Our intro music is Cephalopod, and our interlude music is Exotics, both by Kevin McLeod at IncomTech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Hello, you wonderful mad writers. Did that go by quickly? Did time stand still for you? Feel free to let us know how you are personally affected by the space-time continuum. You can reach us at our website, madwritersunion.com. You can find us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash themadwritersunion. You can tweet to us on our Twitter handle, at madwritersunion. And last but not least, you can email us at madwritersunion at gmail.com. If you enjoy our podcast and want to help spread the word, please leave a review at iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast repository. And remember, every good review you leave gets prominently displayed in the Mad Writer's Ice Cave of Fame. Oh, man. I think I may have to close the window. I'm going to fry in here. Is it too noisy outside, though? Yeah, the birds are very, very noisy. Yeah, (laughs) I just heard your birds. (laughs) Sorry? I just heard your birds. It was was actually kind of (laughs) cute. I'm going to leave your birds if I hear them. I'll be like... Nina has a a chorus of little songbirds that help her do chores. (laughs) No! No, Jay! No! I am... I am... Nina, you've been brought into the fairy tale world. I am the evil witch. I am the evil witch. No.
I so does that mean you have like a disobedient pet? That's what I've heard from many, many years of Disney movies is that if you're a villain, you have disobedient pets. Yes. Yes, that is Dado's function in life, to be the disobedient <laughs> pet. Totally. 